0: Good morning, church. Happy Mother's Day. I love my mom. I love my wife, who is a great mother, takes care of our kids. I don't know how she does the eight things at once that she does when I can only do one thing at a time. I'm like, wait, you need me to make breakfast, get ready for church, get the kids ready too? Like, I don't, I don't think that's possible. I'm sure a lot of mothers in here can identify, and um, there's a story of one lady. After finally getting her three toddlers in bed, she sat down on the couch and began reading the Robert Louis Stevenson story, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the story where the main character comes to the conclusion that he's not happy because he has a virtuous self and a selfish self. So he creates a potion to separate the two selves. Dr. Jekyll was was his virtuous self, but Mr. Hyde, well, he became his complete selfish self. But what happens when Mr. Hyde comes out is that he is far more evil than he originally thought he was. He finds he cannot control Mr. Hyde. It's a story we're all too familiar with in our own human condition. And this mother, as she's reading the story, she resonates with the story and and shares how she battles with the Jekyll and Hyde of motherhood. She says, when I became a mother, I found a Jekyll inside of me. For the first time, there was a person in my life whom I loved more than myself. I was doing unselfish things because I wanted to. I was becoming patient and kind, calm, reasonable, generous, thoughtful. I was becoming a loving person. And I thought, this this is a good thing. I loved being a mom. But then there's this this other person who comes out sometimes. A person I don't know and a person I want to say, who is she? How can I make her go away? At one time, I had a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and an infant. I woke to the fussy baby. He clung to me, and he would not let me put him down. And while Johnny was clinging to me, my toddler was unwinding the toilet paper and making designs in every room of the house with a magic marker. She also took all the books off the shelves and started tearing pages out of them. While this was going on, my three-year-old was begging me to play Candyland. I hate Candyland. There was a mound of dirty laundry threatening to suffocate me. There was no food in the house, and I had to go to the grocery store. And at the grocery store, I had a baby clinging to me, a toddler in the grocery cart, my other one running up and down the aisles, and the grocery cart was so full that I had to kick the pad of diapers down the aisle as I pushed the cart. And in the toilet paper section, I fought to hold back tears as I thought, what am I doing with my life? Look at me. Back at home, I unloaded the groceries, fixing lunch while the ice cream melted on the counter. Then I took the kids to the park before nap time. A park with three children is not fun. I kept counting one, two, three. One, two, three. I came with three. I have to go home with three. By the time I got home, I hated myself, I hated my children. I put them in their room, shut the doors, and of course none of them slept. And I went into the garage and I cried. I just thought I was going to lose my mind. I felt like I was becoming an impatient, frazzled, rude, angry, frustrated, and worn-out mom. And I was splitting into two people. And I cried out to God, I have nothing left. I have nothing left, God. Now this battle... That this particular mother was facing that day is a battle that not only most mothers in the room can identify with, but most of us in the room can identify with this battle that that goes on inside of us between the person that we're trying to be and the person that we're tired of being. Regardless of the battle that you are fighting internally, we can all find ourselves in seasons of life where we are just weary. We're just tired. We're overwhelmed. We're done. Inevitably, it's in these seasons where the same questions surface and plague our minds and our hearts. Where can I find the strength for another day of this? Do other people have as hard a time with being an adult as I do? And where is God in this? When is he going to bring me into a better season in my life? We'll find some of these same questions from God's very own people in Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. And in our passage this morning, we'll encounter people who've gone through some very difficult times being in exile. And now they're facing more judgment to come. And it just doesn't look like life is going to get any better anytime soon. And before we dive in, I want you to hear this. If you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear my sermon summed up in one sentence. One sentence this morning. Your weariness is a gracious reminder that you weren't created to be self-sufficient. Your weariness is a gracious reminder that you were not created to be self-sufficient. Let's look at Isaiah forty twenty-seven through 31. I'll read. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. And my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lord God, we come to you now and ask that you would encourage our hearts this morning with your word. Draw us by the truth of your word, the power of your word, the movement of your spirit to the person and the work of Jesus in our lives this morning. Bring us to the end of ourselves so that we may wait on you to give us the strength we need. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Israel's complaining. They're complaining to God. They're, they're saying things like, my way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by God, and and Isaiah is addressing these laments of the Israelites. Now, based on the historical setting of chapters 40 through 42, they they could have been grieving uh, during over a few different things, but regardless of the exact situation they were grieving, it led them to say, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God my God, they're saying, my God, you're supposed to be my God, you're supposed to be our God, the God who should be taking care of his people, who should be dealing with us justly and and fairly and graciously. But but they believe that he's ignoring their grief. They believe he's ignoring their sorrow and ignoring their pain. And a couple of things to notice in this verse are the words hidden, and disregarded. The word hidden is in the perfect tense, which means it is a settled fact. It has happened. So they were not only saying that their, their, uh, uh, their grief and sorrow was hidden from God, but it's a settled fact. They believed this. It was actually hidden from God. He doesn't see it. He can't see their pain right now. And then when they say, my right is disregarded by my God, it's actually in the imperfect tense, which means it's an ongoing, continuous experience. So when they say, my right is disregarded by my God, they were saying, my prayers are not being answered. In fact, they're actively being ignored. Like when your toddler says, mommy, 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 mommy. Mommy. There's an active ignoring of the over and over incessance of the word mommy. And then they figure out if you just go to daddy, you get it the first time. What? I can't. Yes, yes, you, you can have it. Do yes. We can watch Despicable Me Three four hundred times today. My my three-year-old can quote Despicable Me. He knows the songs. And this is due to me, not Kim. Okay. (laughs) But it's this ongoing, continuous ignoring. So they were saying, my prayers are not being answered. I'm being actively ignored. And God is continuously disregarding my pleas. Have you ever felt that way? That God doesn't see your pain. Or maybe that you think, my pain doesn't matter to him. It's not as big as what's going on over here. So he's just telling me, get over it. Buck up, young man. Or that that you ask God for things and and it just seems like it's hitting the ceiling and falling right back down. Do you feel like you're actively being ignored by God? Well, when life leaves us hurting and tired and anxious, we'll be tempted to attributing falsehoods to God's character and to his abilities. We're tempted in these seasons to declare things about God that aren't true about God. So we got to guard our hearts from allowing our theology to be shaped by our situation instead of his revelation. What he reveals about himself through his word. So what is going on when, when you are tired, when, when you are weary? I'd argue that our weariness is a gracious reminder that we weren't created to be self-sufficient. We, were, we weren't made by God to handle all that life throws at us on our own. When we are in the season of life that tempts us to accuse God of being ignorant to our struggles and continually ignoring our pleas, we must remember not to accuse God, but to acknowledge God. And Verse 28 reminds us who God really is. It says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. First thing we need to acknowledge about God is that he is the everlasting God. He's been around for a long time. He's eternal. He's constant. There's no beginning to him. There's no end to him. In other words, he has seen it all. The everlasting God does not have limits. Therefore, his understanding and knowledge of your particular situation is not limited. We are the ones who limit God and his understanding. His sympathy we limit. His love we limit. And God's word says that he has named the stars. God's word, the inerrant, the the, the word of God, breathed by God, says, he put it in here that he knows how many hairs are on your head. If he knows an unimportant detail like that, don't you think he knows the thing that is grieving his child? He knows your pain, but you are not everlasting. Everlasting. There was a beginning to you. There will be an end on this world. And even though we are eternal, we are not everlasting like God is, where there is no beginning and there is no end. And so your understanding of your situation is limited. When we come back to what we know about God, it helps us to understand that we might be the ones with the limited perspective on our suffering. One pastor tells a story about his mom. She had a a hobby of cross-stitching. Cross-stitching is taking a piece of fabric and weaving in and out of that fabric some threads to create a picture. Did I get that right? Anybody cross-stitch in here? If nobody does this, this is not going to work. So she would sit in her chair. And he would sit at her feet as she cross-stitched. And he would see her cross-stitch. And from his vantage point, all he would see is the bottom piece of the fabric. And when you look at cross-stitching from the bottom up, it makes no sense. It has no rhyme or reason to it. There's no pattern on the bottom side of it. On the back side, and all you see on the back of a cross-stitch is a chaotic, dangling, jumbled jungle of threads. It just looks like a mess when you see cross-stitching from the bottom up. And he remembers seeing the bottom side of of his mom's cross-stitching and thinking, my mama has lost her mind. And he said to her, mama, this makes no sense. What are you doing? Are you just making a mess up there? And his mother, in her infinite wisdom, would invite him to sit on her lap And when he was right next to her, no longer seeing things from the bottom up, but seeing them from her perspective, seeing things from the top down, he could now see a pattern and a rhythm and a rhyme to being stitched together. He he saw an image being formed. And the problem with humanity on this side of heaven is that we tend to only see things from the bottom up. And in seeing things from the bottom up, we say, God, do you care? Do you know? Are you making sense out of this? But God invites us to sit on his lap, to see things from his perspective. And the first thing we see is that God is not unaware of the things that leave you weary or broken, but God is up to something. We need to be reminded of who he is. He is the everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He made us all. There is not a tribe, a tongue, a nation that exists outside the power of God. He's not disregarding all your needs as the creator. He is the supplier of all your needs. And did you know that this Hebrew word for creator here also has the connotation to cut out or to carve? So if he is the creator of the ends of the earth, if he knows, if if we know that he is the one who fashioned us and formed us, then we should know that in our pain, in our hurting, in our tiredness, the creator is carving out death and creating new life in us. He is cutting away the things that keep us from him and forming in us new desires for himself. He he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You see, we get weary and we get tired, but he does not. We we get impatient with our children, but he is uh, forever patient with his children. You see, our weariness, our brokenness, our tiredness, it's a reminder that we weren't made to be self-sufficient. You see, God's attributes of being everlasting, of being the creator who gives the power to the faint is a reminder that he is the only one who is all-sufficient. You see, this passage in particular... Is not meant to give you ways or steps to stop being tired in life. You're not gonna come away with a one, two, three on how to overcome the weary seasons in your life. This passage this morning is meant to remind you where to turn when you have no more strength. Does motherhood have you exhausted? Does your job leave you at your wit's end? Is school pressing you to the end of your limitations? Is your family stress wearing you down to utter discouragement? Is your ongoing battle with infertility making you feel like God has completely ignored and disregarded you? The word of God says there's one place to find strength in the midst of these situations. Look at verse 29. Stick it on your dashboard. Uh, uh, put a post-it on your refrigerator. Uh, uh, make a t-shirt, a three-t sized t-shirt and put it on your three-year-old. Put this verse on there because it says this. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And verse 30 tells us That even the young people will get tired and weary. The young men will fall exhausted. Now, this should encourage us in in kind of a weird way. I I don't know about you, but I find comfort in knowing that other people have the same struggles being an adult as I do. When I see somebody else struggling with their kid in the grocery store, I'm like, praise God, I'm not the only one. (laughs) I I give them the nod. There's no greater comfort in school than to knowing somebody just bombed the same test that you just bombed. You see, verse 30 is an encouragement. He said, even the young men, even the strong men, are going to get tired and weary. There is no promise here about toddlers getting tired, it's not in the word. But they will become a teenager and start getting tired and sleep all the time. It's coming. No greater comfort than to hear that other people are being crushed by student loans and rent prices and parking tickets and, and parenting. And this word should comfort us that even the youth shall be weary and the young men will fall exhausted. You see, suffering takes its toll on everyone who's living. Suffering takes its toll on everyone alive. Now, I know that those moms that you follow on Facebook look like they are crushing motherhood. They're at the beach. They're at the park. They're doing crafts. They're reading the Bible with their kids. But let me tell you something. They're tired. And I know it has you thinking that something is wrong with you, but they are just as weary. We ain't going to social media With all the weariness in our life. So the question isn't, is your life harder than others? The question that has to be answered this morning is, where are you drawing your strength from when you're weary? If nothing else encourages you this morning, be encouraged by that truth in verse 29. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. You were never meant to be self-sufficient. God never expected you to handle life alone. He is your source of strength. If you are weary today, then go to the Most High God, the, the Everlasting God, the Creator God, because he will not grow weary. He will not grow impatient with you. But too often we think that we were made to be able to be strong enough to handle all that life throws at us on our own. That that is a lie from the pit of hell. You were not made to handle all that life throws at you on your own. When God created Adam, he was perfect. He had no sin. He, He was good. And God still said it just wasn't good for him to be alone. No individual is made to, to be able to sufficiently walk through life in their own strength by themselves, apart from God and apart from other people. It's an unnecessary burden that we keep putting on ourselves. And verse 31 tells us how we draw our strength in the midst of our weariness. It says this, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I know that we want an easy, practical solution to regaining strength right here. Verse 31 is where we want God's, words, God's word to tell us pray more, read this book. Read these passages of scripture. Do this or do that and then you will be recharged. But what God's word is telling us is to draw strength from God. And our strength will ultimately be found in how much we trust him. Our strength will ultimately be found in how much we trust him to provide the strength that we need. Waiting on the Lord to renew your strength means turning to him for strength and not turning to other means. When we turn to comparison or coping mechanisms or or even self-loathing to deal with our weaknesses, we take it into our own hands to strengthen ourselves when God's word clearly tells us he gives power to the faint. He increases the strength of the weak. So, if you need strength in your life, turn to God as the source and the provision of the strength you need. That means you must come to God admitting your weaknesses acknowledging your need for him. Our weariness, it's a gracious reminder that we weren't created to be self-sufficient. The mom I talked about at the the beginning of the message who, who was at her wits end, ready to cry, ready to give up, was not at the point of failure as a mother. She was actually at the point of success because she was at the end of herself which brought her to God, the source of all power the source of all patience, the source of all strength. Our greatest need in life is not to muster up enough strength to live on our own, but to acknowledge our need for strength outside of ourselves. This is the essence of the gospel of Christ. When life brings us to the end of our strength, to the end of ourselves, and we see our deep needs for life, we have a God that we can turn to. Be reminded that he is the creator, God, which means he has created you in his image. As much as Lincoln talks back to me, as much as he can frustrate me, I look at that little boy, and there's a part of me that just goes, no matter what he does, I love that boy. He's mine. And how much more does a pure, perfect, holy, loving God look at you and say, I got what you need here. I love you dearly. Our greatest need is that we must acknowledge that we have a brokenness inside of us. There is a Mr. Hyde inside of all of us. There is a selfish, sinful self that has an overpowering effect on our lives. We end up having broken relationships, broken marriages, broken childhoods because of these selfish selves that run rampant in our lives. And ultimately, our selfish self rejects God. Says, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have the strength to do this. I'm going to provide for me and my family. I'm going to do this. And instead of believing that we have uh, to find ways to get right with God, we actually have to come to the end of ourselves and our functional saviors. We must come to a place where we realize we could never be perfect enough to satisfy God's holy standard. Uh, this life exposes too many of our weaknesses. It exposes our true weaknesses, and, and we need God to supply strength. But this life also exposes not only our need to be strengthened, but this life exposes our need to be saved. Because our natural tendency is not to turn to God, but to blame God, as we see in verse 27. To say God is actively ignoring me and my pain. You see, we aren't going to turn to God for strength if we never turn to him for saving. God is not only the provider of strength, but he is the provider of salvation. And every week we talk about this gospel of Jesus Christ. That he loved us so much that he died for us in order to save us. But why did he have to die? Why did Jesus' death show love to us? If you wanted to show your mother that you loved her today and you told her that you're going to drink a shot of poison and die for her, does that show her love? No, that's insanity. So what's the scenario in which you could die on purpose, but it would really show love? We could come up with a hundred different scenarios, but the consistent thing in each of them would be that in each case, in order for your death to show love and not insanity, your loved one would have to be in some sort of danger. It seems that the principle is that death only shows love when the beloved is in grave danger. So if death only shows love when the beloved is in grave danger, then Jesus' death shows love. What must that mean about our predicament? What are we in danger of that Jesus' death for us shows love for us? You see, we don't just need to be saved from our weariness. We need to be saved from our wickedness. The Mr. Hyde inside all of us that is self-absorbed, that leads us to impatience, that leads us to anger, that leads us to sexual immorality, that leads us to lying and cheating and stealing and all those attitudes in our lives that cause strife and division with others. We are in danger of the selfish self winning out in our lives. But the good news is we have a God who supplies strength for the weary and salvation for the wicked. Every week we have deacons along the side of the walls here to pray with you and for you. And I would encourage you this morning, if you've never come to the end of yourself and ask God to save you or to strengthen you, come today. Find your salvation and your strength in the Lord today. See, we can get to the end of ourselves in our strength because of our situations, but it's easy for us to miss the danger that we're in, that Mr. Hyde has produced in us, that our sin has produced in us. We need a gracious reminder each and every day That we cannot save ourselves and we cannot strengthen ourselves apart from the power of God. Let's pray. Lord God, just have one simple prayer this morning. And that's that we would see our need for you that we would not try to be clever this morning, we would not try to be um, strong this morning in and of our own selves. But God, I pray, I pray that we would reach the end of ourselves, whether it's in our situations with life or whether it's with our need for salvation, that we would realize that we need a good and gracious God, an everlasting God, Creator God, who is all-sufficient, who will provide everything we need by the power and the person and the work of Jesus. We ask that in his name. Amen.